It's Tuesday, November 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Uh, we have two of the biggest retailers out with their latest earnings report. That is going to have to take a backseat today to the news from Amazon, which just announced the launch of Amazon Pharmacy here in the U.S. You can order prescription drugs, have them delivered to your home, Prime members get discounts, and the reaction from the pharmacy stocks uh, is is pretty eye-popping. CVS Health, Walgreens, Rite Aid, GoodRx, they are all getting hit, Jason. Yeah, they are. and um, I mean, I understand why. I think this is likely an overreaction to an extent, and and I just you know I, I, I hearken back to when Amazon announced its acquisition of Whole Foods. Um, you remember the grocery store stocks at that point took a pretty uh, steep nosedive on that news, and and again, understandable. I mean, you know, Amazon is is. Uh, Extremely competitive and, and, and a big threat in a lot of ways, uh, but but I mean, you fast forward to today, and, and and certainly leaders in the grocery space have recovered. I mean, they haven't been the most compelling investments in the world, but um, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't fatal. Um, that said, this announcement from Amazon doesn't make the pharma's jobs any easier. I mean, when we speak about CVS and Walgreens, um, those are companies that while they have big storefronts and they have that grocery dynamic. To them, I mean, they really are. They they do rely on that pharmacy, right? I mean, CVS, for example, pharmacy is more than seventy five percent of their business, and so that really that really does matter. And so I understand the selling there, uh, particularly when you look at what what Amazon has done to date. I mean, uh, they've they've done a lot of the heavy lifting in order to be able to compete in this industry. I think uh, they're they're able to participate in this market in forty five states now. They accept most insurance. It is a massive massive market opportunity, right? Something like a three hundred billion dollar market. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are reasons for companies like CVS and Walgreens to be concerned. I think there's probably a reason for something like a good RX to be more concerned. And, and so I understand the market's reaction to that more so um, than, than perhaps the pessimism on, on the bigger companies like CVS today. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the thing I was sort of uh, scratching my head about. Like, I get that just from a purely numerical standpoint, shares of GoodRx falling close to 20% is worse than shares of CVS Health down 8 or 9%. But given the uh, the overall size of CVS Health, uh, I don't know. In, in some ways, I was more surprised by that drop than I was GoodRx. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, again, I think part of that is just because you've got you've got a market where I mean, multiples have I think expanded in a lot of cases. So there probably is a little bit of a valuation thing there. Um, again, probably an overreaction, a little bit of a knee jerk reaction. And I will give CVS credit for being very proactive in the sense that they've they've worked hard to diversify away from just that store base. Um, to become more things, right? They're trying to turn those stores really more into healthcare centers with things like the Minute Clinics and telemedicine offerings. Uh, but, but again, I mean, 75% of that business being tied to pharmacy today. I mean, they do they do depend on traffic um, in, in in the pharmacy business. I think when it comes to when it comes to good RX, I mean, you have to look at 
first and foremost, what is GoodRx? Like, how does it make its money? Because the service that that GoodRx provides to consumers, to to you and me, that's that's free, right? I mean, you can use it. Um, you don't have to pay anything for it. So they earn their money from the the core business, which is is tied to pharmacy benefit managers (PBMs), and and those are are the entities they they manage the formularies and the prescription transactions uh, between the consumers and the pharmacies. And so, why does that matter? It matters because Amazon ultimately, it, it seems like their end game here is they're ultimately trying to cut PBMs, those pharmacy benefit managers, out of the drug sales pipeline, essentially by going directly to consumers and health plans, whether it's employers or health plans or consumers. They're ultimately trying to more or less become a PBM. And Amazon has a, a very notorious <laughs> reputation for uh, cutting prices, right? I mean, look at AWS as an example there, where they, I mean, they just they cut prices. It seems like every week, and and uh, you know when your when your reason for being is ultimately to be the most customer centric company on the face of the earth. I mean, customers are very sensitive to pricing, and they like convenience, and those are two areas that Amazon specializes in, and so. Again, when you look at how GoodRx makes its money, it becomes a little bit more clear why the reaction is the way it is today, because I think this is a bigger threat to its business model than something like a CBS or a Walgreens. Let's move on to the big retail earnings today, and we'll start with Walmart. Third quarter earnings highlighted by e-commerce sales up 79% which is just one of the eye-popping numbers out of Walmart. Uh, revenue of just shy of $135 billion. Um, Same-store sales in the U.S. were strong. I mean, this was, uh, this was a continuation of what we've seen the last couple of quarters out of Walmart. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like we just hit repeat from, from our conversation on this last quarter because there are a lot of similarities. Um, you know, top line growth, not, not lighting the world on fire, but 5.2%, uh, you know, 6.1% if you exclude currency effects. That's, that's pretty strong for a business this size. Um, dealing in a very competitive space in retail, uh, US comps up 6.4%. And to your point regarding e commerce, I mean, 79%. That's not surprising. I mean, I think we all kind of expected that. It's not. I'm not surprised. Um, I am impressed. And, and I think that it, what, what really impresses me is that they've been able to keep on doing this quarter in and quarter out. And it, even, even with the tailwinds that we've seen in the pandemic economy, right? I mean, this 2020, we've seen tailwinds for a lot of these businesses, and Walmart is certainly one of them in regard to its e-commerce operations, among others. Um, I mean, last year, this same quarter, they grew their e-commerce operations 41%. That's nothing. That's nothing to turn your nose up at. I mean, that's pretty good considering. And and so to see them continue that and accelerate it, I think, is really encouraging. Uh, it contributed uh, approximately 570 basis points, 5.7 percentage points to comp sales this year. Um, they are keeping costs under control, which is encouraging. I thought it was interesting to see that in the U.S., they're they're seeing trip consolidation. And when it comes to Walmart and all of these these big physical retailers, you, you want to look at transactions and the size of the tickets, right? How many tickets and the size of the tickets? That gives you a better idea of consumer behavior. They're seeing trip consolidation, they noted in the call, in, in significantly larger baskets, resulting in an average ticket increase of about 24%. But transactions themselves actually fell 14%. So, 
people are they're conducting fewer transactions, but they're buying more. And I think it's reasonable to expect that to continue this quarter, given what we know um, about the potential for you know we're, we're obviously seeing seeing some flare ups there, uh, some spikes in in some areas of the country regarding COVID, and um, yeah, I think that probably is something that that narrative probably plays out for the rest of this year and, and maybe a little bit uh, into next year as well. So you might see a little bit of that pantry stuffing uh, come back into play again. People kind of getting in there and stockpiling a little bit. Uh, that certainly works very well for Walmart because they're big and they're able to maintain a lot of inventory. And speaking of inventory, inventory levels are healthy, um, up a little bit from the beginning of the year, flat basically with the same time last year. So they're not seeing any real shortages, um, and I think they're well prepared for not only the holiday season, but I think you know as as we try to get through these last few months. Uh, before we can start looking forward to uh, maybe you know this this uh, COVID abating a little bit, whether it's through vaccine or other measures, I think Walmart's going to be well prepared for it. Interesting to see two bits of specific, not official guidance, but guidance on two topics that I think are on a, a lot of investors' minds. Um, one is stockpiling; the other is holiday retail. And in both cases, Doug McMillan. Essentially said, we're prepared. He said, yeah. you know, we're we're we're, we're he didn't uh, at least if he if he said this, I didn't see this, but I didn't see him say, you know, we promise it's not going to be a repeat of what we saw early in the pandemic. But he he was pretty clear that in terms of their inventory levels, they are uh, very well prepared for the next few months. Um, and in talking about holiday retail, again, he he wasn't um, overly exuberant. But um, they're expecting a good holiday season. Yeah, and I mean, to, to holiday season, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to see a little bit of a different one this year. And, and honestly, I hope this is, <laughs> I hope this is a trend that continues long past the pandemic. Is that we see instead of you know Black Friday and Cyber Monday, let's just make this, let's just make the holiday season what it is, right? I mean, let's just stretch this whole shopping season out. And just let's just make it one long joyous occasion, right? Let's not focus on just a couple of days uh, during during these last couple of months. And I think that's part of of what will help them deal uh, with with uh, you know what will be a holiday season that'll be less focused on um, a couple of occasions it'll be more focused on the long term and I mean when I say long term that's you know in regard to the holiday season so so a couple of months um, and I think the other thing that they that they you know when, when they talk about being better prepared from an inventory perspective I think part of that it's taking some of the lessons from earlier in the year and understanding consumer behavior as this all started uh, they've gotten a bit more um, into controlling traffic in the stores early as opposed to being a little bit more reactive and so they're back to making sure that stores don't get overly crowded they're back to I think they've actually placed a limit on how much toilet paper for example you can buy again so they're they're trying to sort of see around that corner based on what they learned early in the year. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think that these these this is a team that uh, has been paying, paying very close attention to consumer behavior over the course of the year. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, for the retailers that do that and, and they're able to, to execute, then they can really employ those lessons learned and, and it's to the business's benefit. And, and I think that that will be the case there for Walmart. Home Depot's third quarter profits came in higher than expected. Overall sales up 24%. Uh, and I get that the stock is down maybe 3 4% today, Jason. We can get into why in a minute. But I was struck by the fact that 
We're now three quarters into the fiscal year for Home Depot. They've done a hundred billion dollars in revenue. <laughs> for for all of last fiscal year, they did a hundred ten billion. Yeah. So they've almost done in three quarters what they did for all of last fiscal year. Yeah, I think I think they quantified it in the call. Uh, in, in the first nine months of the year, they, they quantified it. They've seen revenue grow by $15 billion just in the first nine months. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you, you project that forward for this final quarter and you can, you can get a good, good idea of that. I mean, this, this 20, 23% top line growth, which is very similar to what they chalked up last quarter, uh, just, it's not an anomaly. I mean, Dan and I were talking about this before taping, and, and I mean, it is one of those things that, I mean, if, if you're a homeowner, then, then clearly you're, you're going to be spending time at a Home Depot or, or one of its competitors. Um, and, and so, for Home Depot, this is just yet another quarter of just really impressive success. I mean, it's just, I mean, the comp store sales were up 24.1%, comparable sales in the U.S., were up 24.6%. I mean, earnings per share up 25.7% from the same period uh, last year. I mean, it, it it all just speaks to we're at home a little bit more. We have some more time to get things done around the house. Home Depot is absolutely a beneficiary there. And then you look at uh, the existing home base in the U.S. It is it is one that is. It's fairly old. It's getting older, and that means that those homes require a little bit of upkeep. I mean, we're seeing just uh, you know we're seeing obviously tremendous results from the home builders. They're doing they're doing very well, also, which all just leads to there's demand. There's demand in housing, whether it's it's used or or new homes. I mean, housing is just a, a very fascinating market these days. And, and Home Depot, the numbers tell you that traffic just keeps on showing up. And and I get it. I mean, I'm I'm one of them. <laughs> Why don't they have a loyalty program for people like you and me? I, I know that the professional contractor side of the business is important to Home Depot, and they have a loyalty program in place for those professionals. Uh, yeah. But it's a little surprising to me that they don't have one for everyday consumers like you and me. Yeah, I wonder if their perspective there, and that'd be an interesting point to research to see if there's any language for management regarding that. Because I think you know it could be one of two things: either they feel like um, consumers already, maybe they already participate in some in some degree with you know if you get like a rewards program with whatever card you're using, whether it's a you know Visa or Mastercard or whatever card you're using, maybe they feel like. Um, consumers benefit from that, and that's satisfactory. I mean, maybe they just kind of look at it and feel like, you know what, we don't need to. You, you, people kind of need us, <laughs> so I mean, consumers are going to go there regardless. And I mean, I, to, I, if that is their perspective, I mean, I do get it. Like, I'm going to go to Home Depot whether they have a loyalty program or not. Now, if they had one, I mean, that would be cool. I would love it. I mean, I would certainly take advantage of it because I go there a whole lot. Um, but that'd be an interesting thing to research. Um, because because I'm not I'm not quite sure I, I do think I don't know if you saw the news um, it's not it's not loyalty related but I don't know if you saw the news that this they they recently completed an acquisition here just just shortly ago with HD Supply did you yep. see anything yeah. on that uh, Yeah Barker and I talked about that on yesterday's show Yeah Yeah I mean I think that's I think that's actually a really 
Um, I think that's going to be a compelling little add to the business, given given the market opportunity, given kind of where Home Depot is today. I mean, you talk, you talk like, why would you invest in Home Depot today? I mean, you're not investing in it really for that that mammoth uh, capital gains, right? I mean, you're investing in it for steady eddy, nice dividend. I mean, I, I think if they they just paid their 134th uh, consecutive dividend, I think uh, or 135th, I'm sorry. Um, so you know, you're investing in it more for for that that constant flow of income. But this acquisition, I think, of, of HD Supply Holdings will give them uh, additional additional share in that maintenance, repair, and operations space, that MRO space that really caters to that pro, that pro customer that um, that they that they value so highly. So I do think that's going to be an additional market opportunity they'll be able to continue to exploit in the coming years. Um, I, I yeah, I'd be interested to know more about that loyalty program. I think that's that's a big question because if you look at some of the numbers we talk about transactions and ticket for Walmart uh, I mean Home Depot's comp average ticket increased 10% comp transactions increased 13% that's the second quarter at least in a row of double digit growth in both categories but the thing that stood out to me above all was that during the third quarter big ticket comp transactions which is those transactions over $1000 that was up 23% Think about that for a second. I mean, people just going in there and dropping a thousand dollars or more like it's nobody's business. That's that's really impressive. I mean, I think that goes to show you the strength of that business. In in to the question on loyalty and in, in, in a loyalty program, maybe they just don't feel like they need one. I mean, it'd be cool if they had one, but maybe they just don't feel like they need it. Jason Moser, we're out of time. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.